I'm at the Royal Academy of Dance's brand spanking new home in London. The RAD has just moved into a purpose-built home and I'm here the day before the official royal opening ceremony. And we're about to meet dance royalty, the one and only Darcy Bustle. I'm David Jays and this is Why Dance Matters, the Royal Academy of Dance podcast. Darcy is someone who has reminded dancers and dance lovers, young and old, why dance matters to them. Whether it's through her glittering career as a principal ballerina with the Royal Ballet at Covent Garden, or as a broadcaster, or as a judge on Strictly Come Dancing, or especially as president of the RAD, following in the footsteps of some of the great 20th century ballerinas, including Margot Fontaine. Darcy has been a warm and inspiring figurehead for dance as an art form, and for the RAD in particular. But as we sit in this new home, I wonder, does dance feel like a home to her? And why does dance matter to Dame Darcy Bustle? Darcy, here we are in the RAD's new headquarters. This is quite exciting. It was, it's really exciting. I heard somebody say the global RAD headquarters, and I thought that sounds even better. <laughs> <laughs> Does sound good. Doesn't Isn't it? Good? Yeah. For people who haven't yet seen it, just give us a bit of a sense of what it's like, because the old headquarters was a bit of a higgledy-piggledy put-together set of buildings. I suppose the old building kind of grew over the years, didn't it? And it had its charm, of course. My first impressions are a bit wow. (laughs) For me, it's incredibly special to think that the arts or dance itself can have such a beautiful space to work in. And I think that kind of brings tears to my eyes, actually, when I see great studios, great facilities, pianos, light, colour, you know, and the outdoors also being a good focal point as well for a studio because often we're in closed off to the rest of the world, but we're not, you know, the RED here are open to everybody in the community. Everybody will see what's going on inside. It makes me feel incredibly fortunate and special that we've got such a unique space for dance and well, for the RED. Dance can be quite a sort of nomadic career. You could be moving around from place to place, studio to studio, company to company. Is there a a sense that you kind of need a sense of home as a dancer? Well, you're speaking to the right person because I'm a Torian and home is very important and you only excel when you have a good base. (laughs) So um, that is me. And so this, yes, to have a really stable base, like any great institution, but to have an inspiring base as well I think is very important to rub off everywhere, rub off to the rest of the world, to rub off on our community. It makes such an impression on everybody that comes in the building, even if they don't enter a studio, just what it makes them feel. 
Was dance always something that felt like home to you when you started, when you were little and taking your first lessons? Did you immediately feel at home? I suppose my impressions of, as a child of what it was about when I first stepped into a studio, it grew on me. It definitely took its time and grew on me slowly. And then I couldn't think of anything else and I became totally blinkered. So, you know, I'm one of those people that I have to absorb and take time to trust and enjoy. But it definitely did that. And I think a space like this is so inviting and so welcoming with its height of ceilings, with its beautiful lighting, its freshness. I suppose any child that will come in will feel really like, wow, I want to fill this space. I want to have a step to every meter of this room, you know, and I think that is what's special. I mean, I grew up in a tiny little basement studio in the bottom of a house where I did my first ballet classes. And this, yeah, this is transformable. My goodness, you'll feel like a grand dancer just doing your first day here, wouldn't you? <laughs> and I guess that sense that you can move, that you can roam around, mm -hmm. you can jump and not worry about bashing into a wall. or Exactly, a or a out. pole in the middle of the studio. <laughs> because I was in a basement when I grew up, you know, there were poles in the middle of the studio. I think that is a joy when you see children and they want to fill a space. But it's not just the studios, is it? It's the corridors that are vast as well to have that width and nobody's squeezing to get into a room. You know, there's plenty of space for everybody, which is lovely. You had some of that experience as well when the Royal Opera House was refurbished and also had a bit more sense of room to breathe. When you went back into the new building there, was there a similar sense that the world was opening up? Totally different, yeah. How, how I suppose we look at dance and its importance in society and to suddenly have the studios part of the theatre was amazing. Also, they were at the top of the building. So the light that came into every studio was wonderful to see. And we had skylight and it did. It's that bright light freshness that you need, you know, when you're tired and you're working hard every hour of the day as a dancer to have that sort of space really makes a difference. When you were growing up, you had, I guess, what was undiagnosed dyslexia at that point was dance a bit of a refuge for you? It's really interesting. I presume I didn't even appreciate what it was doing for me until much later on. And there was that realisation, oh, this is why I love this. This is why I can express my angst, my frustration, but also what I was always meant to do um, was to move and to express movement with my body as my language and that's why I probably became as natural as possible as a dancer because I felt so comfortable in that space and the classroom was tough as with dyslexia and and wasn't at my time wasn't accepted as oh it's a new fashionable word you know a lot of teachers were like mm, I don't really want to take this on board you know where I was just perceived as a very lazy child which my mother knew perfectly well that I wasn't <laughs> and, and that obviously changed as soon as I came into a studio and stuff that you love to do you put your heart and a hundred percent into and it was a great space for me I was very lucky to find it. Is that quite common for dancers do you think that they find a place where everything suddenly makes sense things that don't necessarily in the rest of their lives quite add up suddenly all click into place? 
I, I don't know about that. I think it's a language that becomes very natural for a younger person because their vocabulary isn't that large and to explain themselves and to be in a space where you can express yourself in many different ways with an ease. Everything goes, even though you're learning a structure and a discipline and a technique and all those things, it's easier to see how you can succeed. Where in a classroom, it wasn't as easy. So there's something about that for the younger child and their development. It only gave me the confidence to then branch out in the classroom. It gave me that confidence to believe that I could achieve. It's really hard. I think every, every child's different and every dancer is different on how they approach it. But the technique and how the structure works gives you that confidence to know that you can do it in any other field. And I think that's what's special. We quite often hear people talking about a ballet company as a family. And of course, you spent virtually all of your performing career at the Royal Ballet with <laughs> little excursions in yep. various directions, but that was always the base. Did it feel like a family to you? Is, is that the, the feel of a dance company? Very much, very much. You're all there trying to reach the same goal. You're all there knowing that it's not just down to one person, it's down to the whole company to achieve that goal. And I think that's what makes it incredibly rewarding to know that everybody's behind you and there even though there's lots of people that want to step into your shoes very quickly that's fine and the competition is very healthy but we are there when the show's ready to perform everything matters that everybody comes together to make it work and that's what I think you just don't really see in many other areas of well maybe the you know, different areas of the arts but dance I think is probably one of the most giving and helpful. We always pass on our knowledge. I'm doing that at the moment as a coach, and it is the most rewarding thing to pass on your knowledge. <laughs> it is incredible, isn't it? Because you also have to have, I guess, the humility to know that the dancers you're coaching have to take on the roles in their own way. They can't be kind of copies of you or identical little versions. No, you don't want them to be copies of you. You know, then the, the next generation or generation again. <laughs> it's wonderful to see them have different ideas or different ways of interpreting it. But you want to keep something true and pure. And that's what I think for me as a coach, I want to keep it as clean, as pure, and with less affectations as possible. We often overanalyze things. <laughs> and, um, and I don't want them to be that. I want them to be as natural and as human as possible on that stage. And when you see a dancer having a little light bulb moment during a session, that must be quite an, oh, an it's amazing. It's joyous. It's joyous. I literally clap, you know, and and they can tell that I'm smiling and I'm quite noisy as a coach. And it is wonderful to see that spark suddenly. And they go, oh, my goodness, I wish I got this two weeks ago. Why didn't I have this feeling two weeks ago? And it is just lovely to see. And that's why that time in the studio is so important. And it's not just always about the show, the performance itself, but the time in the studio is really special.
were there roles that for you felt like stepping into a skin that just fitted you perfectly? Yeah, there were. I enjoyed the challenge, weirdly. I like the role to be slightly complicated or difficult to manage because then there was a much more sense of achievement by the time you'd reached that time of performing it. But yes, of course, there were roles that you felt totally in sync with choreographically, musically, in the interpretation of the narrative. All those things, you know, I didn't have to think too hard. I think probably the first obvious thought would be Balanchine. A lot of them say that there's no narrative, but there is, of course, a narrative with everything. And I loved his work and his dynamics. And And then you stepped away from performing, but not that long afterwards, you were on your screens judging Strictly Come Dancing with a very different sort of performance focus on you having to perform as yourself. Was that harder than actually performing a challenging classical ballet? Really hard because the producers on the show at first didn't want me to be the ballet dancer. And I was like, well, sadly, I am. And I think you chose me because I am the ballet dancer. But they were convinced that the public were going to take that on board. But there you go. They took it on board and were happy to have me as a judge. But I think for me, I always was going to play myself. There was no question in it. And, you know, however much I was convinced that to look like or be like the ballet dancer wasn't the right thing. I was like, well, sorry, that's just, just you're taking me as it is. Um, this is how I look and this is how I'll act. So, you know, I think with anything with time, you find your place, you find your voice. And it wasn't the easiest thing for me because I wanted to still be the dancer in the, on that dance floor, on that stage. And so to be a judge full time like that was very hard. Just the ability, you know, knowing it's live and having the ability to be quick and responsive was hard as well. Because I like to think and take my time and give value. And I know, fast, three points and off. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> and also, I guess, as with the coaching thing, where you're trying to nurture someone and you're trying to be encouraging and develop them, to have to sometimes say quite harsh critical things <laughs> with a camera pointing at you and millions of people watching was it did you have to kind of grow a second skin to be hard enough for that I don't think I was ever going to be sadly hard enough what I found out very quickly it was it was very easy to see the mistakes and I didn't want to be that person that just relayed all the mistakes I wanted to be that person to notice the differences the changes the the things that had developed. And I think that was actually harder than actually, I mean, we all are great critiques, aren't we? And we go, oh, I don't like it about this. I don't like about that. And da, da, da. and it's a shame about that costume and it's a shame about the, you know, <laughs> the tempo or whatever. But, you know, it's much harder to actually notice somebody who's made a progression each week, what has changed, even though the choreography's changed, the style has changed, to see what they've gained over that week. And, and that's what I really wanted to focus on. And, and that's what I made my task. If, if I can do that well. <laughs> we move on and you moved on. And when around the time we went into the pandemic, you were really engaged with children and their dancing and how dance could be part of their physical activity and their development. And then came the pandemic and all of that, I guess had to stop, at least in schools and things. Coming out of that period, how has that made you reflect on, on the importance of dance? 
especially for young people? Oh, it's really magnified the importance of it. And actually, I think it's magnified it to the everyday person to realise that movement and music, our well-being, has to come first. Succeeding in, 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 in English and geography and biology and all these things, of course, incredibly important. Mathematics, everything. But actually, if our well-being isn't in a great place, nothing else is going to work, is it? And dance and its wonderful combination of connecting with people's emotional states, how it brings people out, makes them feel alive, um, puts them at peace as well, all these different things, but energizes them and empowers them. And uh, that's what you have to have from a young person before they can even go into a classroom and focus. And I think we've really noticed that that has to come first. I'm, in a way, you know, maybe sometimes these things, however hard they've been, have been like a revelation at the same time. And something that might not have taken another 20 years to really appreciate, we've suddenly appreciated now. So I'm quite excited to see what will happen next. And if we can really push the government to push dance into the everyday of, of schools or even a flavour of it, something, because it does get those children gaining confidence to step further. And I think that's what we forget. And, and the pandemic has really helped us magnify and notice that. And of course, also um, during the pandemic, your role as the president of the RAD became one which involved a lot of video messages, a lot of Zooms, a lot, all, all of that stuff moved online as well. That sense of not being able to connect to members, was that, was that difficult? Really difficult. How we connect is being with somebody, is reading their body language, is really taking how they feel and noticing those things, which you do not notice through a screen. You know, maybe there should be a hybrid version uh, so we can work with it, but it shouldn't be the only tool at all. I'm getting a real sense that you're enjoying being out in the world. Oh, love it. <laughs> love it being out in the world. And that's why I love to see a space like this in the new headquarters, to see light, to see the outdoors coming in, to know that people are going to fill those beautiful studios. You've met loads of RAD dance teachers. Have you got a sense of what it is that means the RAD feels like a home to them? It is that connection, isn't it? And I suppose, as we said in this podcast, that a base, a strong base, um, really rubs off and filters through the veins of everybody. And we get a sense of strength and empowerment from it. And I hope that all those teachers now feel that we have a new chapter, a fresh beginning again, and something we can look forward to. And it, it's been a really hard time for this profession. You know, as a dance teacher, I have many friends that are dance teachers, and it hasn't been enjoyable. It's been really tough. Um, and I think this will be a really bright light for them. Darcy, one last question, <laughs> which is the question in the podcast title, really. Why does dance matter to you? Um, it's in my bones. <laughs> it's in my DNA. It's, I can't get rid of it. It's everything I feel. Um, I feel and, and why. I get up every day, basically. 
I enjoy meeting people through dance. I enjoy how it inspires the everyday person. I think it brings a lot of life to people's lives and it has a, even a lot more than we know. So, yes, no, it's not, it's not going away. <laughs> <laughs> not from my life. <laughs> you can take the girl out of dance, but you can't take the dance out of the girl. Very good thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Darcy. It's been just a pleasure. Oh, thank you very much. Darcy Bustle, such a class act. That conversation was the last episode in this third season of Why Dance Matters. We've roamed far and wide this season. We've ranged across oceans. We've met an opera singer and a whistleblowing lawyer, as well as some amazing dancers. But it's fitting that Darcy brought us home with this closing episode. Home to ballet, home to the RAD and the new building that will be its home for many years to come. It was only a year ago, still in lockdown, that we began talking about making an RAD podcast. We asked Sarah, who would become our producer, what we should call it. What's it really about, she asked. Well, we said it's about why dance matters. There's your title, she said. Hearing just why dance matters to such a range of guests has been a revelation to me. And I can't quite believe that in the past year we've made over 20 episodes of the RAD podcast. For more information about the RAD, see our show notes and follow them. They're at RAD headquarters on Twitter. I'm at Mr David Jays. We'd love to hear why dance matters to you. And please do subscribe so that you'll hear the minute we're ready with season four. Our guest today was Darcy Bustle. Why Dance Matters is made with the RAD team of Celia Moran, Melanie Murphy and Charlie Strachan. Our artwork is by Bex Glendinning. And it was a very lucky day for us when we met our producer, Sarah Miles. I'm David Jays. Take care and see you soon.